short time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this. people I think is good people. They are they have not to charge with the guilty of all the lies. Welcome back to the Cold War, episode 22. Hey, Ray. Hey, Cam. How are you? I'm good, Ray. How are you? I am good. I am ready to talk about spying, espionage, just everything, cloak and dagger. Let's just James Bond the fuck out of this episode. Well, before we do that, there's something I really need to make very, very clear because I'm sick to death of people emailing me about this. Son of a bitch. Yeah. I'm just going to say this once. Uh-huh. I'm going to be brief, and I'm not going to comment on it again. Oh, ouch, okay. I consider myself warned. I had nothing, absolutely nothing, to do with Angelina Jolie's divorce I... or Naomi Watts's divorce from Liev Schreiber. And now, we're just friends, Angelina right. and Naomi and I. Yes, the right. three of us were seen together, <laughs> naked, in a uh, sauna. Oh, right. Well, yeah, there's, yeah. there's a hot tub and sauna. We were going backwards and forwards, you know. You know. But uh, but that's it. We're just that's friends. It. I'm just saying that for the you record. I'm happily politics. married. Happily. And uh, very happily. And uh, I just want people to stop. It's hurtful. The right. rumors are hurtful. Let, let it go, people. Seriously. Get on with your lives. There are more important things to worry about right. than, than, than my threesomes with celebrities. Right. Well, I'm just going to have to say, as someone who's in Camp Jen, I disagree. I don't think there is anything more important. <laughs> I, I gloated for the first 24 hours. Yeah, bride, fucking serves you right. You had you had everything with Jen. You let it go. And now supposedly he's banging his co-star on his current movie, whatever. I don't know. I don't know. He's gotten violent with his wife. I don't know. I'm glad she slept with you in the hot tub. I'm glad. There, I said it. <laughs> Well, I did try and get Jen involved as well. Uh, I was going. I was going. I was. I was going for the hat trick, (laughs) but uh, didn't quite pan out. Next time. So, last time on the show, we uh, talked about the uh, Philippine-American War, Mm -hmm. which I've had a few emails about that, a few comments, people, uh, uh, you know, shocked, horrified, let's say, Um, but. This is, I'm going to move on with the story today. Um, so by the time the, the big three, Churchill, Roosevelt, Stalin, mm-hmm. met again after the Tehran conference, it wasn't until February 1945, by which time the US had retaken the Philippines. And that's how we got started right. last time. Took us down that fucking rabbit hole. Uh, but there's still a long way from taking Japan in February 45, and they're still facing some fierce German resistance. Yeah. If, I, if, if you're being quiet for a moment, 
to allow me to say something about mm-hmm. that. I, I would like to mm-hmm. do that, please. Mm-hmm. I am. Okay. So cool. So yeah. So the so the Red Army. Stalin is is pretty much has the mentality that the Americans do. He wants to push along the entire front. His men have been pretty successful coming thousands of kilometers, and they suddenly get hung up in East Prussia and Pomerania. And what was going on, um, there was actually two attempts by the Soviets to break the stalemate. Uh, in October of 1944, uh, the Soviets are su- suffering massive casualties. Instead of going hundreds of kilometers, they're only going like 30, 60 kilometers. Things have really been slowing down. And so they actually have to halt their advance, which in a lot of ways halts the entire advance because Stalin has read enough military classics to know you don't push, you know, unless you can push the, uh, along the entire front because they'll swing around. So anyway, so they have to halt everything and they have to wait for more reinforcements to come, which does come on January 13th, 1945, which is just mere weeks before Yalta is, is about to start. So anyway, so January 13th, just weeks before Yalta is going to start, the Germans still have roughly 780,000 men in that area up north. The Ru- the Russians have got 1.6 million, and they launched their second offensive on January 13th, you know, 1945. And this is not going to be over with until April at the end of April. So by the time Yalta is going on, he is still having trouble in this one area and it's just holding up everything. So even though the German, excuse me, the Russians are kicking ass left and right, they are having their own problems. Stalin wants this over with. He wants to grab as much territory as he can before the Americans and the British are coming the other way, grab territory. So this is a very serious thing for Stalin, not just for FDR and Churchill, but also for the Russians as well. So by the time it's all over with, the Russians are going to have 126,000 additional dead soldiers, another 45,000 wounded. So, um, so this is very real, real for Stalin. And even though he doesn't care about these men, let's be completely honest, he doesn't. It's still going to affect him after the war. He needs as many live soldiers as he can possibly get his hands on. And we're going to go into this later because there is a secret plan of Churchill to attack the USSR, but we'll go into that later. So he, and he knows about it. Stalin knows about this. So he, he, again, he's just got to get this cleared up and he needs the help of the second front and the Americans as well of the Americans as well. Wow. That was a lot of stuff. You just said, thank you. I've got <laughs> you some mentioned... more stuff when we get to the Ardennes, but I'll, I'll wait a couple seconds. Oh, okay. Good. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Pomerania. Yeah. Uh, where is Pomerania? That is up there. I don't know, near East Prussia, northern Poland, north east, northwestern Poland? Shit, I'm trying to remember. Mm. Uh, it's yeah. uh, on the southern shore of the Baltic Sea, mm-hmm. split between Germany and Poland. Oh, that little bridge right there. Yeah, the land bridge. Best oh, whatever po- Pomerania, best known for the breed of dog made famous by Queen Victoria. Good for the her. The Pomeranian. Now, do you know what the Pomeranian's most common health issues are, Ray? Stepping in dog poop. No, slipping. Slipping no, on that's, dog poop. That's the health issues of the people that own Pomeranians. <laughs> no. The Pomeranians themselves uh, suffer from luxating patella, tracheal collapse, and alopecia X, which I thought was a special kind of shampoo, but apparently is a skin condition oh. known as black skin disease. So they don't tend to live very long these pomeranians but do you know what the good news is uh no please tell me if you have one and they get one of these diseases and they die tragically you can still use them as shark bait now of course (laughs) 
the, there's there's a lot of debate, Ray, as I'm sure you know, uh, around the correct way to actually bait a Pomeranian on your hook. Right. It's a bit like a prawn. Like, does the hook go yeah. in through the spine just below the neck? How I like my do it. father taught me. Or right. do you feed it up the butthole oh. so the hook, tip of the hook comes out the chest? I mean, how do you prefer to bait your Pomeranian, Ray? I'm, I'm a traditionalist, you know, spine, neck, the, the thick the thick part. That's I try to stay away from the anus except for when I'm in Vegas. I, I, that's my policy. <laughs> Uh, and also on February 4th, just as the Yalta conference was starting, the Americans entered Manila. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, that they came back then with lots of plain beige folders for their filing cabinets, which was uh, <laughs> a great important. boon to... They'd missed out on those while the Japanese uh, controlled the Philippines. So they were... that was really the reason. They went into Iraq for the oil. They went into right. the Philippines for the Manila folders. Um, some other things that have been happening uh, in late 1944, November, FDR had his fourth inauguration. Woo! Harry S. Truman replaced Henry Wallace as his vice president, mm-hmm. which is going to have far-reaching consequences. I think we mentioned Wallace on our interview with Campbell Craig, yes. I think. Yes. Uh, Wallace was uh, one of these guys, like FDR, who believed that they should uh, take a diplomatic uh, approach with Mm -hmm. the Soviets as opposed to Truman. Um, In uh, late November 44, we had the first American night air attack on Tokyo. And on December 16th, uh, something you hinted at before, the uh, Germans launched their last major offensive uh, through the Ardennes, the Battle of the Bulge, which we now know, and I'm sure you've seen this story circulating recently, Mm -hmm. this was fueled by crystal meth. Have you seen that story? No. No. Holy shit snacks, man. you got to check this out. I was going to send it to you, but I thought like a million people would have. Oh, my God. I no. didn't want to be one of those guys that sends you the no, same please. story for the hundredth time. New book has come out by a German uh, author, supported apparently by tons of evidence. I haven't read it yet. I've just read uh, interviews with him. That uh, not only was Hitler on a cocktail of crystal meth and cocaine and various other drugs uh, during the war. And crazy. But, Go ahead. Uh, but also, so were the, the, the entire Nazi army. It prescribed drugs. So the, 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 the quick version of the story is um, pharmacological drugs started to emerge, you know, in the 30s. It was a new thing. This mm-hmm. is back when you could get them over the counter at drug stores in the US. This is back when Coca-Cola had... Real cocaine in it. Yeah, those are the days. Maybe it was a bit earlier than that, but you know, it was. You can, you see these pop up on Facebook from time to time. Ads for uh, for women and for children from the twenties and thirties. Give them cocaine; it'll get them through the day. <laughs> so it didn't. It, you know, it was it was kind of seen as a a, a, a positive thing to do is to to take these stimulants, and uh, it was it was modern. It was progressive. It was scientific. That's right. And Science, um, yeah. And Hitler, even though famously he was uh, vegan, didn't drink, right. didn't smoke, etc., etc., did start taking these drugs. He had a doctor who uh, worked with German manufacturers of these new pharmacological drugs who was prescribing various things for him to get him through various ailments that uh, he had. Also, 
he's obviously working around the clock, particularly right. during the war, and so he's using these drugs to get you know get by with very little sleep, very little rest. But also, they prescribed it to the Nazi army. Uh, they had to take like one of these crystal meth tablets in the morning, and then two more at night. Uh-huh. So they could just keep going day in, day out. And there's, uh, so this guy's written a book about it. Also, I read recently about the drugs that Churchill was on for similar reasons uh, during the war and then after the war, in, uh, as he got older, he was on a cocktail of pharmacological right. drugs as well. So but, cigars um, and alcohol, yeah. But just to wrap this up quickly, the the fascinating thing is that so the, the Hitler and, and I think several of his uh, senior inner circle and the entire army were on these drugs. And then the factories in Germany where they made this stuff were bombed by the Allies late oh, in the war. Right. And so they all... So imagine oh, the entire Nazi <laughs> army and leadership going cold turkey from crystal meth because their factories got bombed. And the suggestion is that one of the major reasons for the Nazis losing the war mm-hmm. is that they ran out of crystal meth and they went cold turkey and started. Apparently, there, there are stories of Hitler picking at his own skin with uh, tweezers and shit because he was fucking going cold turkey while he's running, running this thing. Anyway, uh, again, haven't read the book, but apparently backed up where this guy's gone around and dug up all of the... Uh, Evidence, first-hand accounts, and letters from doctors, and prescriptions, and all this kind of stuff, so to base it on. So, yeah, uh, ch- check check that shit out. <laughs> I um, will. Now, I, quickly yeah. talk about the Ardennes because we don't have a lot of time. No, right. And, and just real quick, this isn't um, the World War Two show. No, no, no. I understand. Just real quick, uh, I think the main reason why Nazi Germany lost is because when you start a war with Britain, the United States, and Soviet Russia, which has so much of the planet's resources and population. That alone. But anyway, that, that's my thing. Okay, so so um, as you all know, uh, Yalta is February of 1945. In December of 1944, December 16th, the Battle of the Bulge, we won't go into it. But basically, Hitler grabs, Hitler, who's obviously high on crystal meth, um, grabs 30 divisions of all of his... Um, all of his reserves, even including young men who are way too young to be fighting and old men who are way too old to be fighting. He gathers up about 406,000 men. Eventually, it's going to be 450,000. They come at him. They come at the Allies with uh, just over 1,000 tanks and 4,000 artillery pieces. What, what Hitler comes up with all on his own, this is not something he gives off to his general staff. This is his brainchild. He is going to drive a wedge between the United States and the British forces like Napoleon would do, he would conquer them piecemeal, make them sign a, a peace pledge, whatever the fuck you want to call it, uh, and then turn around and send everything he's got against the uh, Soviets because that's pretty much his only chance for victory. So um, the uh, they, the Germans come out of with 450,000 men. The, the U.S. have about 600,000. It's really bad weather. They can't use their planes. So the Germans are able to get uh, some a decent amount of success. You get the Battle of the Bulge, and we won't go into all that. Someone will cover it later in a World War II podcast. But... By the time, um, let's see, right before the Yalta conference, the Americans and the British were able to push the line back right where it was when it all started on December 16th in 1944. So again, the Americans are coming into this. They've had 9,000 men killed. They've had 19,000 wounded or missing. So again, even though the Americans are doing well, they were able to take back all their territory. They themselves have really been bloodied. This is ugly. They want this over with. They want to drive into Berlin as quickly as they can, certainly before 
stalling it's there. So both sides have their own reasons for having this military and political conference, because even though it's getting near the end, they're both suffering and they both want to be able to help each other to finish this off because a lot of people people are dying until we can actually end this war in Europe. Woo! Yeah, yeah. Now, that said, <clears throat> Churchill had been trying to pull together this meeting since uh, middle of 1944. Mm-hmm. And uh, Stalin was like, eh, what's the hurry? <laughs> First, Churchill wanted to have a meeting in September of 44 in northern Scotland. Mm -hmm. Stalin said no. Fuck that. Then Roosevelt proposed a meeting in Alaska. Uh, Stalin again said no. Notice that they all want them uh, very close to where they are coming from. Yeah. Churchill goes, I can drive an hour north. (laughs) And Roosevelt's, I can fly a couple hours north. And uh, Stalin's like, fuck you all, North. (laughs) Um, Now, the main reason, according to historians, that Stalin wasn't in any hurry is because he wanted to grab as much territory as he could before they sat back down at the negotiating table, obviously, to put himself in the strongest position possible. And Churchill and Roosevelt knew that. And so they're pushing and pushing and pushing, and he's stalling and stalling and stalling, and he's obviously getting... Stronger and stronger uh, as every month goes on. And if I could just add to that, even though the Americans weren't sure of all the details, um, I think um, Harry Hopkins came the closest to figuring this out when he told FDR, look, because we've launched, we've had our D-Day, we have the second front going. And when you get a second front going, you're not just going to sit there because your men will get killed. You have to keep moving. You have to keep moving. You have to keep the enemy on the defensive. So Stalin knows now that the second front has been launched, it is militarily prudent for the allies in the West to keep pushing his way. So there's really no reason for for them to meet. Look, you're going to keep pushing because if you just sit there, I'm going to grab more territory and your men are just going to get slaughtered. So there's there's nothing in it for him. And in, in out of all that we've said about Stalin, unless there's something, something in it for him, some reason, some motivation, whatever, he is not going to waste his time because we are going to find out during Yalta, probably not on this episode, exactly how his daily schedule goes, how much he works. And I don't know if he's on drugs. I just think he's a hard-ass son of a bitch. But this man is putting in the hours and he doesn't have time to play games. You take care of stuff over there. I'll take care of stuff over here and we'll meet later when it's convenient for me. So, finally, they do agree to meet in Yalta, in the Crimea. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, where is the Crimea, Ray, for people who don't that follow such things? sticks out like so many things did in Vegas into the Black Sea. Uh, it's a little <laughs> peninsula there that... Um, I hear it's very beautiful. Uh, recently, the uh, USSR took it back over um, by marching their troops into it. Anyway, so it sticks out into the Black Sea. Very important uh, peninsula. There's a lot of ports. Um, and that is where FDR has to schlep his old dying frame. We know this now, dying frame, all the way over there just to get Stalin to talk to him. But FDR is motivated a hell of a lot more than Stalin is to meet and have a face-to-face. Yeah, it's basically on the, the the southern end of Russia. You go down through Russia, through the Ukraine, and then you hit Crimea right on the little pointy knobbly bit. It's like the balls hanging it down is, underneath. Yes. It's the ball sack of the ball sack of Russia. Basically, is Crimea. Well, that's Hi far- to all of our Crimean <laughs> listeners. 
Uh, you're the nutsack, really, of but in a good the way. Soviet Union. In a good way. Uh, very important strategically, obviously, uh, because of its command of, of the Black Sea. And as all of our listeners will know for, for the Alexander Show in particular, uh, strategically very important, the Black Sea, throughout history. Yes. Uh, it, it, was the end, it was the gateway from uh, getting to Greece and then later on Rome into uh, Persia and you know Asia Minor, as they called it back then, Turkey, as we call it today. Very, very important for thousands and thousands of years. Now, the uh, Yalta Conference, sometimes also known as the Crimea Conference, it was codenamed the Argonaut Conference. Hmm. Uh, the Argonauts, Ray, I'm not sure if you know this, but the Argonauts were um, not, not just uh, a great uh, cartoon band, but were a band of heroes in Greek mythology nice. who, in the years before the Trojan War, so around 1300 BCE in theory, accompanied Jason, Jason and the Argonauts, right. to Colchis in his quest to find the Golden Fleece. Ah. Uh, now, no, that's not to be confused with the golden shower no. that you saw in Vegas. Totally right. different thing. He didn't have to travel far. He was Greek after next, all. Next time, give me a little <laughs> warning. That's all I'm saying. Now, now, their name, the Argonauts, comes from their ship, the Argo, which was named after its builder, Argus. So the Argonauts literally means the Argo sailors. Now, I have no idea why this conference was called the Argonaut Conference. Maybe because the Golden Fleece was guarded by a never-sleeping dragon with, with, with teeth, which could become skeleton soldiers when planted in the ground. Get the fuck out of here. Uh, there's a great, like, I think 1950s uh, movie of Jason and the Argonauts done yeah. by the, with the special effects done by that great uh, guy whose name I can't recall, Shit. Where the, where the skeletons come to life and start marching. Mr. Shit. No, uh, yeah, I, I know, I picture the, the early right special yeah. effects dude. Yeah, I can't remember his name. Well, tell you what. Anyway. If you want to Google that real quick, I'm just going to add something to what you're saying. So, yeah, so that's um, the, find, the, uh, the golden sleep fleece taken from the dragon that never sleeps. And as they're going to find out in Yalta, when, when things are getting a little testy, I'm not going to give anything away, but when things are getting a little testy, everybody's talking about their daily schedules. That's when Stalin stands up and he goes, I pretty much work all day long until 5 a.m., getting communications, looking at maps. I go to sleep at 5 a.m. I get up at 10 a.m., and I start it all over again. FDR doesn't look like he could carry that out. Churchill, as we know, like to take his time in the morning, have a long breakfast, have a bath in the morning. So Stalin, during the uh, Yalta conference, is going to let them know that he is the dragon without saying it, that never sleeps. And this is the person that they've got to go up against these two gentlemen who have been taught in the best schools in the West, going up against a self-taught former seminarian who has killed millions of his own people. It should be an interesting contest when they when they come to grips with each other. Yeah. Uh, sounds like a bit like my schedule, I think. Uh, that's how yeah, I Yeah, I don't feel. know how you do that. I don't know how you do that. I don't know how. Well, you're doing probably, another show on top of it, man. I don't know how you do it. You, and, crystal meth. And you've got a real job. Yeah. The, well, the meth helps. <laughs> it does The meth, meth helps. Or ice, sure, as we call I, it I here. see stuff that's not there, but it really does get me through the day. <laughs> it makes your sex life so much more interesting. 
Uh, well, told. you can see things that are there. That may be where the whole Angelina Jolie threesome This is huge. I could kill somebody with this. <laughs> and, then I, and then I come down. That, Jason and the Argonauts from 1963, Ray Harryhausen was the uh, stop motion ah. animation expert who I was trying to think of. Yes. Classic movie. I did watch it again a few years ago. Classic. Very well done. Tried to show my kids, my teenagers, they were like, what is this shit? I'm like, no, like it's a classic. They're like, this is shit. They don't know. uh, They don't know. Speaking of which, I I have to, just now that I think of it, I have to give a shout out Mm -hmm. to, uh, shit, I should have my email open. Mr. Shit. I'm going to give a shout out to one of the, one of our 16 year old listeners from England. I feel bad now. Uh, we've, we've got a bunch of, like, uh, teenage that, listeners, that uh, embarrassingly. Like, <laughs> seriously, <laughs> why are you listening to this filthy, filthy show? Actually, it's not as bad as our other shows. Does that make us the latest, like, the latest teenage band with all these teenage followers? Yeah, yeah we are the Bieber of <laughs> podcasting, I think, uh, is how I would put it. <laughs> I got an email from one of our listeners in England, 16. He says, uh, don't worry, mate. Doing my bit to repay the favor. Already introduced the podcast to my girlfriend and one of my friends. We spend our lunch breaks talking shit about Churchill, slowly spreading it through my class. There you go. So uh, pretty happy about it that, part I have Cambridge to five. say. Yeah. 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 We'll get to that. Um so, fuck, what was I talking about? Oh, and my, my teenage kids. They're like, that yeah. film's a piece of shit. Also, I want to shout out to Max Farquhar, another one of our teenage listeners. Uh, I think Max is, uh, he's a twin. Uh, I think they're 15, 16, those boys. They're currently in China with their family, with their oh, parents. Cool. His dad's also a big fan of the show. And uh, I said to Max when he said he was going to try, I said, bring me back some communist propaganda, man. Yeah. And he's got me a Mao Zedong poster like, nice. fantastic, he's bringing back. So I'm pumped. And he also bought a Chinese chess set so we can have a game when we uh, catch nice. up. Can he... Shout out to you, Max. Yeah. He's a big fan of all of Thank our shows. You, Max. Max, if you can also bring me some crushed rhino horn for my... Well, you know, just bring it. Don't worry for about a friend. it. For, for, for a friend. For an older friend. Yeah. Just uh, the, a big uh, bag. The 16-year-old listener in England is Joe Davies, by the way. So shout out to my man, yeah. Joe Davies. Keep up the good work, Joe. We love the fact that we're corrupting young minds. I, we really do. Yeah. Yeah. That's, if nothing more than... We, yeah. Corrupting young minds is what we live for. Get them when they're young, like the church and smoking. That's... <laughs> so anyway. Sorry. Uh, the, 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 the conference, uh, Argonaut Conference... Maybe it's because they were stealing back something. I don't know why it was called the Argonaut Conference. But anyway, it was held at the Lavadia Palace near Yalta uh, in the Crimea. Now, a bit of history about the Lavadia Palace, because I found this fascinating. It was on an estate that was granted to the Greek revolutionary hero, Lambros Katsonis, by Catherine the Great in the late 18th century. After his defeat by the Turks, he had tried to... um, you know, the, the Greece was controlled by the Ottoman Empire. He was trying mm. to overthrow it, blah, 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 blah. Good for him. Um, he named the estate after his birthplace in Greece, Lavadia. It's actually the capital of Boeotia. And I our Alexander listeners will know Boeotia because 
it it was sort of one of the uh, states, city states of, of ancient Greece, and it's where Chironia was located. Mm. The municipality of Lavadia was actually in Chironia. Chironia, of course, the Battle of Chironia, three thirty eight BCE, where Philip the Second of Macedon and his eighteen year old son, actually I think it was like sixteen at the time, Alexander, mm. yep. defeated the United Greek armies. Boom, boom, boom. Um, anyway, so this estate uh, in uh, Yalta uh, later became the possession of the Potocki family, mm-hmm. who are there were then and still today one of the wealthiest and most powerful aristocratic families in Poland. The Potockis. Shout out to the Potocki family hey, if you're listening in. Oh, sorry. Uh, one of my uh, you know bloodlines goes back to Poland, so I'm sure my ancestors yeah. probably were servants to the Potockis <laughs> at some stage, serfs, uh, whores, probably, you know, all of the above. Now, I get, I read this great story when we did this fucking Potocki rabbit hole. My brain is fucked up, man. I'm like, oh, Potocki, I wonder what they're all about. So I go down this thing. No wonder I don't get any sleep. Count Valentin Potocki. Nice name. Who lived kind of circa 1700 to 1749, was a Polish nobleman of the Potocki family, and he apparently converted to Judaism. Mm. A Polish Catholic no. nobleman, according to, uh, like, uh, the Jews. Right. There's this story, myth. He sort of still celebrated by the Jews today. Converted to Judaism for reasons I don't really understand, but was burned at the stake by the Roman Catholic Church for renouncing Catholicism. Yeah, how did he not see that coming? <laughs> oh, I'm a noble, they won't do that to me. Fire is fire. Fire yeah. is not prejudice. But anyway. <laughs> so uh, there thanks, you go, Christians. good old Catholics. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Catholics. Now, the Lavadia estate eventually became the summer residence of the Russian imperial family in the 1860s, and they had a brand new palace built there. Yes. Uh, it took them 18 months. On September 11th, 1911, 110911, 11. they uh, launched or, or what? No, inaugurated. There you go. The mm-hmm. new palace by Nicholas II. Yay. The, uh, in November, Grand Duchess Olga celebrated her 16th birthday at Lavadia. Oh, good for her. And they got to enjoy it for a few months because then the Russian Revolution happened and they all died. Just uh, real, real quickly, what did you do on your 16th birthday? Did you celebrate it in a palace in the Crimea? Uh, um, I... Well, I was getting, I was banging. Uh, <laughs> so even girls. better than a palace. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 I was drinking. Right. I was drinking dirty cheap scotch <laughs> and having sex with teenage girls when I was. <laughs> Which is 14, okay. 15, when you're 16. <laughs> when you're a teenager yourself, that's okay. Let's let's make that very clear. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Oh, if you're from Virginia. Same thing, and yeah. she's your cousin. <laughs> I thought your cousin was in her seventies. She was still hot in her own way. Anyway, where were we? Uh, so the, the Russian Revolution happened, which Stalin, of course, was a major figure in. Mm-hmm. And so he's, he's throwing this, uh, having this conference in the palace of the Russian royal family, which he played a major role in the downfall of, which I thought was kind of, yeah. I don't know, a little bit weird and twisted. Um, 
Now, but Nicholas II's mother, the Dowager Empress Maria Fyodorovna, nice. When the revolution happened, she fled to Lavadia with some other members of the imperial family. Uh, they stayed there a couple of years, were eventually rescued in 1919 by the British ship HMS Marlborough, which was sent by the Dowager Empress's nephew. Who's that? King King George V of England. Nice. Uh, and the rest of the family, of course, were executed. So that's where they're going to hold the altar conference in this old rundown. Apparently it was a disaster too. Uh, Stalin sent this crew in to fix it up. They had yeah. like, I think, two weeks to take it from right. being... It, 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 nothing had happened in this joint. It was like there were chickens living in it and cows and pigs and shit. Hadn't been touched since 1919. This is now 1945. Uh, the, and, and the, you know, there'd been a fucking war in the Crimea. The Germans right. had been there and the Nazis had been there. This place is completely devastated. Stalin sends in like 10,000 soldiers and they have two weeks <laughs> to turn labor. it into a, yeah. a conference center. I, can I, I just want to throw something out real quick for that. Yeah. So, um, so, uh, Beria, who's in charge of think, state security, he has given like two and a half, three weeks to fix up the, the three palaces because Stalin's going to have a palace. FDR is going to have a palace and church is going to have a palace anyways. So they've got mere weeks to fix this place. But Beria through his own <clears throat> type of motivation is able to get the job done. And I just have to throw this out. It's not important, but FDR's bathroom was repainted seven times trying to get this shit straight. And the other thing was that the Germans had purposefully blown off the roofs of every building they could possibly find throughout the Crimea before they withdraw, they're being driven out by the by the Russian forces. So when they get there, the first thing they have to do is put on roofs for all of the, these thousands of workers and these thousands of soldiers that are going to be there because hardly any of the structures had roofs and obviously it's cold. So the Germans did a pretty good job. But Beria is, like you said, able to bring in tens of thousands of people and knock this stuff out in a matter of weeks up to the standards of someone like Churchill and FDR. So not a bad bit of forced labor. Uh <clears throat> So, they're going to have this conference, um, but Stalin has an ace up his sleeve. Yeah, he does. He knows, even before the conference, all of the negotiating positions that the US and the UK are going to come to the table with. And he even knows How the does he... difference. And he even knows the differences between them and what they're arguing about when they just argued days before at, at Yel, uh, Malta. But we'll get to that later. How does he know? Obviously, he had a Ouija board. Um, I got to play this now. One medium dry vodka martini, mixed like you said, sir, and not stirred. Thank you. Anything else, sir? No, that's all. Dry martini, lemon peel, shaken, not stirred. Vodka? Of course. Can I do something for you, Mister Bond? Uh, just a drink. A martini, shaken, not stirred. Should I have said vodka martini sent up? Shaken, not stirred. Of course. The lady will have a Bacardi on the rocks. For the gentleman, vodka martini, shaken, not stirred. 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 Mr. Zukowski will be delighted to see you. Oh, come on, Zini. 
Any advice? If you can spare it. Dry martini. Oui, monsieur. Wait. Three measures of Gordon's, one of vodka, half a measure of quinoa lily. Shake it over rice and then add a thin slice of lemon peel. Vodka martini. Shaken and stirred. Do I look like I give a damn? Can I tell you what's messed up about James Bond? Nothing. Shaken, not stirred, will get you cold water with a dash of gin and dry vermouth. The reason you stir it with a special spoon is so not to chip the ice. James is ordering a weak martini and being snooty about it. <laughs> <laughs> Love Thank the West Wing. Thank you, President Bartlett. Thank you. Telling it like it is. Now, getting back to our story, spies. Now, this brings us to the Cambridge Five, not to be confused with the famous five. So the Cambridge Five, probably the most famous and most successful spies in all of history. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Kim Philby. Yep. Donald McLean, Guy Burgess, Anthony Blunt, and uh, the fifth one, they were the original four. The, f- right. the fifth one was a guy called Cairn Cross. But the most famous would be Philby, Burgess, and McLean. Right. I'm yep. pausing so you can say something. If I pause, he, he, like I know we've only been doing this for about four years, Ray, but <laughs> here's the thing. When I pause, it's an opportunity for you... Right. To say something intelligent, oh, uh, shit, and preferably not on. just not just repeat what I just said, but in okay. different words. I'm not going to repeat what Cam just said. I'm going to say something different in different words. No, what we're going to find out is that um, these gentlemen, because of I don't even know how to put this the um, the rules, the the way the uh, Secret Service was structured in Britain, they're able to get their hands on practically almost everything, and they're going to send it to, on a regular basis to Moscow through their, through their uh, Russian handlers. But these guys are going to penetrate to the highest levels, and we've got a p- mm. plenty of examples of all the different penetrate. ways. Penetrate. Penetrate. <laughs> the these, guy, guys, guy Burgess loved to penetrate. <laughs> yeah. We're going to get into <laughs> no, But Stalin is going to have almost a daily, if not weekly, I probably should have said that other, other way around. Idea of what's going on in London with their Secret Service because these guys are that good. They're able to get this information to them on a regular basis and it will shock the hell out of you. In his introduction to the 2003 reprinting of Kim Philby's 1968 autobiography, mm-hmm. Philip Knightley, the Australian journalist who wrote the first book about Philby and corresponded with him for 20 years, wrote, In the history of espionage, there has never been a spy like him. And now with the Cold War over, there never will be. His achievements seem incredible. But I think we should wrap this episode here, Ray, and Mm -hmm. uh, pick up again in the next episode because we've got a lot to talk about when it comes to Philby and Burgess, and we're going to go way over time if we try and cram it all into this episode. Absolutely. So this is to compensate a word that was used a lot in Vegas for the one hour and 30 minute episode we did last time. But trust me, it's it's going to be some some amazing riveting stuff that you're just going to not believe. And it's very sad that it happened. But and you're going to be even shocked about why these guys did this as we go through these stories. It's not just what you think it is. And I've got clips of them. Interviews with them, uh, very rare interviews with them, which I'll play as well. It's going to be fascinating stuff. So what did we learn this episode? Just to recap, uh, Mm -hmm. I did not 
have anything to do with the divorce of Angelina Jolie or Naomi Watts. The threesome was purely just for fun. It was for fun. fun. The for reason fun. No you one... have a threesome yeah. is for fun. Yeah, it's for fun. Dear diary, I had a... Yeah. Uh, Stalin was trying to delay the Yalta conference so he could capture as much territory as possible. Mm-hmm. The uh, Nazis were fueled by crystal meth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, if you have a Pomeranian dog and it dies, you can still right. use it as shark bait. Don't Quite frankly, well, no, but you can still use it as shark bait when it's alive. I mean, if it's oh. on its last legs anyway, that little, bit of, that little bit of kicking really attracts Bad the form. sharks. That's, you cross the line. Fine. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the place where they have the altar conference is the old palace of the Russian royal family, uh, granted to a Greek revolutionary, well, the estate was, and the early version of the palace was rebuilt by the uh, Russian royals later on. Uh, but Stalin knew everything well in advance of what was going to go down because he had the best spies in history on the payroll. Who knew how to order their drinks. And one last thing, as the Cold War starts heating up in the 50s, a lot of people in the United States compared the Yalta Conference to the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact or to the Munich Agreement that U.S. was soft and that they sold out to the enemy, whatever. So by the time we're done with Yalta, and who knows how many episodes it's going to take, you can decide for yourself if this was uh fdr's and churchill's weak point could they have done more whatever you can we can talk about that later you can decide for yourself uh but again it's important to keep in mind this was a war conference like we were saying at the beginning the war's not over everybody's having their own troubles they do need to help each other out militarily because things are not peachy keen so keep in mind that this is meant to be at, at the very least, a military war conference with some politics thrown in. So as long as you think of it like that, I think you'll have a much more accurate um, opinion of it once we're done with everything. An iron curtain has descended across the continent. military buildup on the island of Cuba. The purpose of these bases can be none other than to provide a nuclear strike capability against the Western Hemisphere. 